Hello, and welcome back to the American Writers 100 Pages of the Time podcast. And in this episode, we are going to continue our read-through of the works of Harriet Beecher Stowe, uh, which will include Uncle Tom's Cabin, Old Town Folks, and The Minister's Wooing. Um, but first, we've got to finish up with Uncle Tom's Cabin. This is part four of my review, so if you're just joining us, you may want to go back a few episodes to the beginning of my review. Um, this episode will explore chapters 23 through 32, um, and uh, these are basically bridge chapters. Uh, they're getting us to the to the climax of the novel. I mean, there are climaxes to certain like stories, um, and I, I'm kind I'm kind of getting to see the structure of this book a little bit more. It's basically we have um, Tom with three different uh, uh, slave-owning families. And that is uh, his main arc. Um, Eliza and George, they're almost completely out of the story at this point. Um, so we, we pretty much are just following Tom. I, I think uh, structurally with the beginning of the book, although it's called Uncle Tom's Cabin, and you're not wrong to think that he's the main character. Actually, it's Eliza that's the main focus of the early part of the story. But now we're shifting much more to um, to Tom um, and his adventures uh, of being bought and sold by different people. Um, so basically, this part gets us to why Tom is sold to a much more cruel master uh, than the St. Clairs. And we get we kind of say goodbye to the St. Clairs. And, and what Stowe does is just sort of kills off half of them. Um, remember, our, our, we have Ophelia, who is like... Uh, uh, a relation, a single woman um, who is sent there to, who lives there to kind of helping manage the household. We have Augustine St. Clair, who's a little bit of a softy, but still a slaveholder. And then his cruel wife, Marie, a materialistic wife. Um, and, and Ava, their kid, who is presented as a good, good character. Um, now, Augustine's character is explored a little bit in chapter 23. Uh, where his brother Alfred visits, and they have a long discussion about slavery. Um, we also see Alfred's son Henrique, Henrique, um, and he is—he's uh, shown beating uh, his slave and being really cruel to him. And Ava confronts him on that, and and Henrique is kind of confused about why she's upset about the way he treats Dodo. And so that's uh, the point. There's pretty obvious, I think. Um, Ava's good. Henrique is kind of bad. And he doesn't even know he's bad, right? Slavery does this to the slaveholders. Um, a little more interesting in this chapter, though, is all this is being observed by Alfred and Augustine. And they have a debate about slavery. And basically, Augustine's point of view is kind of like Thomas Jefferson's. In fact, Thomas Jefferson is called out exactly in this chapter, um, where Augustine says, like, basically, we're going to end up like... Haiti if we continue to mistreat the slaves and Alfred just says well whip them harder control them more and we'll be fine we'll never let what happened in Haiti happen to us here there's never going to be a slave rebellion because slaves aren't capable of that it's only the stupidity of the French and the, in the French revolutionary ideology that allowed that to happen in Haiti um, and uh, uh, Augustine says, well, maybe we should like educate these slaves. And Alfred's like, no, we won't. And we shouldn't. And Augustine says, well, we're, we're educating them one way or another. We're either educating them for cruelty and de degeneracy, uh, the way we're 
doing now, or we can educate them from uplift. So it's a, f it's a focus on the values of, uh, you know, why it's important to educate slaves and, and how it's not, it's not a question of educate or not. It's like just what do you teach them? Um, and that's, that's the chapter. I think the discussion between Alfred and Augustine is, is one of the better, like, back and forth conversations we get in the book. Um, and it does paint a bigger picture of what's in slaveholders' minds. Like, they actually hate just republicanism, republican form of government entirely, the French Revolution. They blame, um, they basically pine for, like, the Middle Ages for the aristocracy. And, and I think a natural aristocracy is actually mentioned here, too, uh, which, of course, is the idea of someone like Alfred. And, and Antonique is, is being raised to think the same way. So back to education being a major issue here, right? So um, then we get uh, a few chapters dealing with uh, the death of Ava, a, the daughter of the St. Clairs, a character we've come to love, who we sympathize with, who is presented as good because she treats uh, the slaves and her family well, and she, she doesn't like slavery, you know, so she's the one we should uh, support. So Stowe decides to kill her. Um, I, I think a more interesting story would be if Ava lived and inherited the slaves instead of uh, Augustine's sister Marie, is what, which is what happens. And because like Augustine just sort of dies of a broken heart after Ava dies and he's he's off the table, too. So both of these characters die over the course of these, this section. And that's a big chunk of this whole section of the book, too. Um, I, I want to see what Ava does with slavery when she inherits. So have Augustine die, have Ava, maybe when she's 18 or something, inherit Tom and the other slaves on the farm and see what she does. Like, what does she actually do at that stage? I think that'd be a very interesting story. I think Stowe maybe, for whatever reason, wants to go sentimental with it. So she kills off a character we, we grow to love before she can be corrupted by the system. Now you could say, well, Henrique. Henrique is there, someone who is young uh, and is already evil. Uh, Ava is young and good, so it's not an age thing. But, but I think actually it sort of is. It's like we are products of our material conditions. We can't just stop being a wealthy Southerner uh, who has a material investment in slavery. That's, you know, Ava, if she lives, probably would have been pro-Confederate, right? She probably may have had some bad feelings about slavery and not like certain aspects of it, but she probably would keep her slaves. It's, you know, let's, let's not... Fancy, there's going to be like we can just age out of these problems. Right? I, I think I talked about this last time too. Is there's this? I, I don't like that idea that you know if we just wait long enough, the younger generation will save us. You know that that may be what actually happens, and that's history does tend to move forward. It doesn't move backwards, and younger people do tend to get more political power, and and their opinions become the mainstream over time. Sure, I get that, but. It's a bit of a cop-out to say, like, well, let's wait for that to save them. No, we can act now against these things. And um, I, maybe she'd be like Augusta if she grew up, where she would be like, you know, make anti-slavery claims, feel kind of bad about it, but ultimately not going to do much about, uh, to, to change it. That's my guess. But um, 
we'll see. But anyways, Ava starts to get sick. Um, and so she has some conversations with Tom and, and she says she would die for the slaves at one point. That, that's what I want to test. We never get that test. I mean, we literally, I guess, get her dying, uh, which is so Stowe doesn't have to deal with that. And this is my disappointment in this book, I guess, is, is maybe Ava's just too black and white of a character. And, and I think her father is actually more interesting. Ophelia is more interesting because she's tr- struggling to deal with Topsy. Instead, we just have this like angel bouncing around like on everyone's shoulder being this conscience. Uh, and, and then she dies before she actually has to make any serious decisions, before she ha- is in a position of power. I wonder if she'd fail the test just like I think Ophelia did when it comes down to it. I don't know. I, I don't think that's Stowe's point. I think Stowe just didn't want to deal with that and, you know, having this character die. She's, she's like the, 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 who's the Marsh girl who dies? Um, Beth, Beth Marsh in, in uh, Little Women. Kind of was reminded of her. She's sort of kind of wasted away. Um, I think it's kind of a trope in the literature at this time. Um, but uh, in Chapter 25, we get to Topsy. We get a discussion about Topsy. Uh, and basically, Ophelia, here in this chapter, I think I said she didn't whip her, but I think in the last section she hadn't. She mentions here actually whipping. I, I don't, it's not like f- open back against the tree, you know, punishment flogging, which is a whole affair that is done here. And we see examples of, of it going through the, the, the book. But I, I think she just means kind of like beating her, uh, you know, or slapping her around or something. Not good, obviously, but uh, she does say she whips or, or beats Topsy. Um, so she says, like, I can't do anything with Topsy. She's basically unmanageable. Remember, Topsy is just a little girl who's raised only in slavery and, and raised with cruel families before. Um, so she just has this idea that this is her life and there's nothing that can that she can do about it and she doesn't really seem to care about that. She's never experienced love. Um, and Ava, of course, now sick and dying, provides that love to Topsy. Um, she even like tries to say like, you know, do you love anyone, Topsy? And Topsy's like, well, everyone's been taken from me. There's no one to love. And, and then she says, well, if you're good, Ophelia might love you, which is kind of gross, actually. It's, it's not one of Ava's best moments because it's, it's kind of the same manipulation that Ophelia's been trying to do throughout, of like trying to use books, trying to use education, trying to use religion to get Topsy to behave, and then ultimately using violence. Ava's trying to use some kind of a, like manipulation. Um, and we learn here that um, one reason Ophelia has problems with Topsy is she, she's just ultimately at the end of the day a racist too, like because she doesn't even want to touch Topsy because she thinks it's kind of, you know, touching black people is, is disgusting. So Ophelia, although says the right words at times, is ultimately just another racist Southerner who beats slaves, mistreats them, and tries to manipulate them ideologically to get them to conform to her wills. Um, now, 
Ophelia later admits, yes, she is. I am racist. What do you know? And, and I, I'm not touching Topsy. And she talks about this with her with uh, Augustine. Um, but she's kind of like, oh, maybe I'll learn from the young generation to be good, too. Just like she's teaching Topsy to be good. It's really kind of sappy and uh, not I, 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 I'm not too happy with this whole part of the book, actually. Um, so next chapter, I believe, uh, 26, um, uh, Ava dies after a bunch of, uh, drama, dramatic scenes, if you like that kind of stuff. Like everyone's around her, and she gives her 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 wishes, her wishes and hopes for for different people. She gives them all her hair. She talks to the slaves, professes the need for Christian love, and a bunch of of lame stuff like that. Um, again, this is kind of the novels of the time, but I really prefer a story where Ava doesn't die, and um, either does help things like it can. And I know Stowe doesn't want a happy story. And Tom has to go to hell for his character to progress. But I don't know. There could have been other ways that Tom gets sold. Uh, well, we've already used debt with Shelby. Okay, August. Okay, Augustine dies. Ava um, finds out. I don't know. Going back to debt, that's the easy answer. But now why not reuse it, I guess? But there, there, you put Ava in a situation where she has to make a hard choice because you do need Tom to go to hell and, and, and be sent to worse masters. And it can't be the St. Clairs who, who bought him because he saved Ava's life. They can't be... They're, they're the most complex characters in the story, actually. Um, at least as a family unit because they... They go across the gambit of, of philosophies about slavery um, and, and race. Um, all right. Anyways, read it if you want. I actually skipped a bit of this chapter. Um, then, um, then we have a, basically a, like St. Clair, uh, Augustine St. Clair, um, has his moment with Tom where they talk about religion. And so, again, we have religion being the saving grace for people's souls in this horrible situation. It, it saves Tom, kept Ava pure. It can save Topsy is a suggestion we get in the, from when Ava talked to her. And now it's like Ava's spirit is kind of passed on in um, Tom and Augustine, and we see them kind of reformed. Uh, and this is, is this when um, St. Clair freeze Tom or says I'll free you in my will or I'll, I'll speak in the process for freeing you um, but anyways um, it's around this time too that we learn that Ophelia has finally reformed Topsy Topsy's now a good girl and she wants to basically buy from from Augustine to set her free uh, so Topsy has a happy ending um planned out for her, and so does Tom, because Augustine's going to free Tom. So, good for them, right? But that's not what happens, because Tom uh, dies. He just actually dies in a fight. 
Um, I, it's just Stowe needs him gone, <laughs> I think. Uh, there's not much to it. Uh, it's just some... I think there's, there is a theme of temperance here because he's killed by some drunks. Augustine himself was a reformed drunkard. It, it's like a ma- like Ava's like superpower. She's like got like the shining or something because she's able to like just change everyone's mind around her. She's just this uh, perfect angel. Cures her father of drink. Uh, sets Tom. Or Tom's already religious and, and moral in that sense, but she's kind of sets him in the right direction. Makes sure he's going to be good throughout the rest of his life, and that's going to shore him up. Fixes Ophelia, fixes Topsy. The only person she can affect is is, is Maria, um, her mother. But uh, Augustine was a drunk, right? So he gets killed in a by some drunks. Um, all right, big deal. I mean, he could have died him anyway. It's just like I thought he was just going to die of like a, you know, he can't handle. He can't, that's basically what it is, though. He can't really handle life without Ava can't really live in this world anymore and the plot needs them gone so stabbed and dies and that's the end so you had to get here i guess we're what chapter are we on now 29 so we have to get to page 370 um for we're, we're to the end. We're to the last 100 pages or so of the book. A little bit more. 120 pages left in the book. And the chapter is called The Unprotected. So everything that's been set up, especially to freeing Tom and arranging for the slave's freedom, ends because he didn't do the paperwork in time before he got killed. Right? See, it's a, again, it's an entirely different book if he doesn't go to that. Like, he has to die at that point because... If he just goes to the records office and files the paperwork, Marie can't own Tom. Tom has to go to hell. So this is all very contrived, as I said, but it's it's fine, whatever. It doesn't have to be perfect um, because the good in this book really is pretty good. It's pretty excellent. Um, but in Chapter 29, uh, we find Marie says... Uh, Nope, we're not going to, not only are we not going to like free you, I'm going to be really mean and cruel. Or I'm going to sell you off. Uh, he, she whips. So this is like, like there is a mention of Ophelia whipping Topsy, but I don't think it's like full-blown punishment, overseer, lashing, bareback, you know, scars on the back kind of whipping. I think she means just kind of like slapping her around maybe with a rope or something. Um, in the midst of like household work, because we're told that this doesn't happen on the, this this never happens on the St. Clair farm, uh, but Marie reinstitutes this old this old family custom, I guess that was uh, worked out by Augustine, and then sells them, then just gets rid of them. Guess she wants to retire. Um, this. Uh, Well, this uh, like sets up Tom's final chapters. Ophelia tries to stop this, but um, but Maria actually makes a cl- uh, another pro-slavery argument here. So Stowe is 
trying to knock down the pro-slavery arguments that were bouncing around. We've seen her already deal with a couple of them. The pro-slavery argument she deals with here is like, well, freedom is worse. All right? Well, if you were to free the slaves, they'd actually be worse off. And Maria says, yeah, like maybe they'll be sold deeper to the south and be treated horribly uh, on the cotton plantations, whatever. But freedom would be worse. Um, so then we get this like these horrible, like, like I said, we very quickly then from chapter 30 on descend into hell. And we start with uh, this warehouse where slaves are being kept before they're, they're sold. So remember, we've already kind of seen scenes like this before up in Kentucky, but it's much worse down here in the Deep South. And we meet uh, a mother and daughter, uh, a 15-year-old, and the mother is trying to uh, like make her hair not so pretty because she's got like this pretty curly hair. So she's trying to flatten her hair because that will make her look ugly because she, she's afraid that she'll be purchased. This 15-year-old daughter of hers will be bought by rapists, you know, planters who just want a, essentially a, a slave concubine. Um, and this is competed with the, the salespeople who are trying to make her look as pretty as possible to get the highest price. Um, and this girl's named Emmeline. Anyways, I, I think she's going to be an important part of the story going forward. Um, Maybe not, but we do spend a lot of time being introduced to her. Um, uh, that's basically what she is, the young, beautiful um, slave woman who's at risk of being you know, ex sexually exploited by, by masters. And, and Stowe does not hide or she's not shy about this at all. It's, in fact, it's a theme we've seen before in the book. But obviously, that's a big part of the anti-slavery argument was about gender. Uh, we can't underestimate it. It wasn't just people were against slavery abstractly. They were against slavery for very specific, often gendered reasons. Like, these women cannot be mothers. These women are being, like, raped. They can't have proper marriages. There's religious connotations to a lot of this stuff, too. Um, so, but once again, I'm reminded of something I've talked about before when we looked at the slave narratives, and, and in this book, too, for that matter, is the packaging, how enslaved men and women were were packaged for sale, made to look pretty, made to look strong, uh, put in clothing that um, makes the most appealing to buyers. At the same time, the slaves themselves were trying to be sold to masters who maybe won't mistreat them or, or maybe mass slave plantations that are close to their family, maybe not too far away. They, they put thought into that as well, so they could manipulate it. They could be more look more defiant and resistant to, to masters they don't want to be sold to because, you know, they, no one's going to want a disobedient slave who's going to cause them troubles or maybe run away. All that. But it doesn't work. Whatever happens here, it doesn't work because Simon Le, Le Gray, the devil here, um, who looks like the devil, <laughs> he, he, let me find the description of him. Uh, Stowe lays it on pretty thick here. Um, a little before the sale commenced, a short, broad, muscular man in a checkered shirt, considerably open at the bosom in pantaloons, much the worse for dirt and wear, elbowed his way through the crowd, like one who was going actively into the business, coming up to the group, began to examine them systematically. From the moment that Tom saw him approach, he felt an immediate and revolting horror at him that increased as he came near. He was evidently 
Though short of gigantic strength, his round bullet head, large, light gray eyes with their shaggy, sandy eyebrows and stiff, wiry, sunburned hair were rather unprepoposing items. It is to be confessed. His large, coarse mouth was distended with tobacco, the juice of which from time to time he ejected from him with great decision and explosive force. His hands were immensely large, hairy, sunburned, freckled, and very dirty, and garnished with long nails in a very foul condition. Quote. Now, he looks rough. He is rough. He's, he's, turn, he's super, super evil. All right? But Stowe really spends a lot of time on like, how he looks and how he looks like there's like I think a little bit of weird class dynamics here too because he's not genteel at all. Augustine was genteel, but so was Alfred. Alfred was evil, but Alfred was more, uh, more sophisticated, right? He spoke more sophisticated. This guy is vulgar. Uh, he's really really nasty. And then listen to this. Um, he paused a moment before Dolph, then spitting a discharge of tobacco juice on his well-blackened boots and giving a contemptuous oomph, he walked on. Again, he stopped before Suzanne and Emmeline. He put out his heavy, dirty hand and drew the girl towards him, passed it over her neck and bust, felt her arms, looked at her teeth, and then pushed her back against her mother, whose patient face showed the sufferings she had been going through at every moment, motion of this hideous stranger. I mean, he's, he's what she feared, and he buys her. He buys Tom and Emmeline and some other slaves. And, and the next chapter is they're put on a boat to the plantation. So they are now going to a straight up cotton plantation. So um, from, uh, from his cabin, right, if we follow his story, from Uncle Tom's cabin, where yes, he's a slave, but you know, uh, Shelby's pretty good masters but have to sell them. Financial problems, right? Goes south, deals with Haley, who's, who's nasty. Meets the St. Clairs, who we find many different opinions. And it's, it's a, actually a very complex family uh, where you have cruel people, but you also have good people. And there's a lot of tension and conflict in that part of the story. And now we just go to like, like really to the hell of the confrontation. So you're supposed to feel that as the reader experience that transition of the character. Um, Tom has nothing. The one thing he has on the boat that still is his, that's still his property, is his hidden Bible. So he smuggled in a Bible. It's the one thing he could smuggle in. Um, his Bible he keeps. His hymn book gets stolen by uh, by Simon. Um, and, he, and he says, like, there's not any time for praying on, on our plantation. Um, and then threatens Tom directly. In fact, this chapter, 31, is called The Middle Passage, uh, of course, making us think of the transatlantic slave trade. Um, but here it's the domestic slave trade, also a middle passage. Now, the chapter sort of ends here with some conversations between um, among the slaves. Like Emily talks to a someone who's just a woman who's just described as a mulatto woman, a mulatto slave, and she's been her family's been split up. Right, Emily, of course, is probably going to be a sex slave. 
at least that's what's being kind of set up for her. Um, this other woman lost her family. So Stowe is really emphasizing, you know, the, the lack of a family that, that slaves have the, the, as, a, as part of the moral condemnation of slavery. Um, now, the question of, like, can religion survive in hell? Can Christ be there in hell? Can Tom's religion hold is, is tested in question. Quote, true there is religious trust for even the darkest hour. The mulatto woman was a member of the Methodist Church and had an unlightened but very sincere spirit of piety. Emmeline had been educated much more intelligently, taught to read and write, and diligently instructed on the Bible by the care of a faithful and pious mistress. Yet, would it not try the faith of the firmest Christian to find themselves abandoned, apparently of God, in the grasp of ruthless violence? How much more must it shake the faith of poor, of Christ's poor little ones, weak in knowledge and tender in years? End quote. And then we got this ominous ending of this chapter. The boat moved on. Uh, freighted with the weights of sorrow up the red murky turban current through the abrupt torturous winding of the red river and sad eyes gazed wearily on the steep clay baked banks as they guided this in by in dreary sameness at last the boat stopped at a small town and the gray that's simon with his party disembarked um the last chapter we'll look at today is called dark places and yeah it's, it's not a pretty picture, obviously. Um, some really horrible things here. One is we, we, meet, we learn about this woman, Cassie, who is uh, basically Simon's previous mistress. And I guess she's getting a little old or whatever, or he's bored of her. That's why he bought Emmeline. Emmeline is going to um, be his essential like slave mistress. He has another thing that really Simon seems to get off on is forcing slaves to punish other slaves so he keeps black overseers um keeping them and he he has these conversations uh with tom later on like you must punish these slaves so he enjoys that aspect of of the discipline and punishment of of, of slavery and we are told like remember saying claire didn't have punishments shelby didn't really punish their slaves either um we don't have any evidence of it really I guess the people who owned George were kind of, were certainly assholes. But it wasn't like physical violence that led George to leave. It was that, you know, the threat to his family was posed. Um, that's why he ran away. And we have the violence of the slave catchers up in Kentucky. But we have uh, really day-to-day -day brutal violence here. Um, rape and, and whipping and, and Done, by, and then the, the the whipping, the violence, the brutality done by by black overseers, um, and this turns the slaves into nasty people to each other. So we have that moment of friendship between Emmeline and the mulatto woman on the boat. Uh, the question we're left with here is: Can that survive? Can that endure in in the cotton fields? Um, so. That's where we're going to uh, pick up with in our last episode looking at Uncle Tom's Cabin. Um, so we have about 100 pages left, 103 or so. Uh, the first chapter will, so chapter 20, 33 till the end will be uh, the next episode. So this has been um, fun. I've really enjoy, I'm really enjoying this book. Um, the first half of what we talked about today, like the 
the denouement of the St. Clair storyline. I don't like how that was handled entirely. I understand why Stowe wants to get them here because it gets really good. I mean, it's really tense, actually, when you, when you meet this character, um, the Simon, and you just, he's so odious, and Stowe just seems to relish describing him, you know, with the tobacco and spitting on people's boots and the, the shirt that's, that's unbuttoned. You know, his his rough face, he's tanned, he's out in the fields, right? He's um, not this genteel, educated type. He talks in a vulgar way, right? But he's a master. And that, that makes it all worse, right? Because somehow these other characters were restrained in their abuse through education. This guy doesn't have that. So he's just, uh, he's after just pure profit. So let's see where it goes. Uh, so that'll be in the next episode. Uh, so thanks for listening. Let me know what you think and send me an email or leave a review. I'll see you next time as we close up Uncle Tom's Cabin.